0: You're listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Paul Boutin on the Calvary Brighton Podcast. I don't know if the, if the name Jonathan Chapman rings a bell to you. Probably shouldn't because he was born back in the 1700s. But back in 1755, uh, Chapman decided he would explore the wilderness of what one day would be the United States of America. So he set off on a journey by foot and, and he traveled through Ohio and, and Indiana and, and, and Pennsylvania. And as he traveled, he brought with him a sack of apple seeds. And, and these were seeds that he collected from various cider mills all over. And, and so as he traveled, everywhere he went, he would plant apple seeds everywhere he went. So much so that by the time he died uh, in 1846, he had covered more than 100,000 square miles with apple trees. Now, you might know him by his nickname, Johnny Appleseed. You might say he lived a very fruitful life. So now, the reason I share his story with you is because uh, in, in, in Galatians this morning, we're looking at the so-called fruit of the Spirit, and we're going to see really that the fruit of the Spirit is, is, is really the proof that if the Holy Spirit has really filled you, if you really are filled with the Holy Spirit, then here's what should be coming out of your life. You know, if you think about it, you know, if you self-identify as, a, as an apple tree, well, then there ought to be apples coming out of you, right? Well, in the same way, if you're a Holy Spirit tree, well, then we should see the fruit of the Spirit coming out of you, coming out of your life. And so this is what we're going to look at this morning in our message, Fruity Living. So now with that, as we pick it back up in verses 16 through 18, uh, the Apostle Paul tells us to walk by the Spirit, He's saying, you know what, if you want to display the fruit of the Spirit, if you want the fruit of the Spirit coming out of your life, then number one, you need to walk by the Spirit. So he says again in verse 16, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For For they are opposed to each other. To, to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. But if you're led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. And so again, the Apostle Paul tells us to walk by the Spirit. Now, in the original language, uh, this, this is, in a, in a sense, it's being rendered in a way that this is a, an ongoing, continuous action. In other words, this, this is a, a habitual way of life. In other words, uh, the Christian life is, is a life of, of following the leading of the Holy Spirit. In fact, so much so that, that following the leading of the Holy Spirit has now become your new way of life. Your, your new way of life, your new habit of, uh, of living is to follow the Holy Spirit. But let me ask you this, how many of you have, have ever stumbled a little bit, have ever tripped up a little bit, you know, you ever had like a weak moment you know maybe maybe there's there's some temptation that you struggle with on a regular basis and, and so one day you decide that that you're gonna overcome that sin you're, you're you're gonna conquer that sin and 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 you know, and so you're doing pretty good for a while you're you're hanging in there, you're doing pretty good for a while, but then one day you give in and you fall and you stumble. you know you know maybe. Maybe there's a, a, a sin that you struggle with, like, I don't know, maybe maybe anger, outbursts of anger, you know, and so you decide that, you know, you're, you're going to try to be more patient and you're going to you're try, try to be more understanding. You're going to try to, to keep your cool and you're doing pretty good. You're, you're hanging in there until all of a sudden, one day you're on I-25 in the middle of rush hour and all of a sudden you just snap. I mean, you lose your stuff, if you know what I mean. You just you just lose it right there. I mean, anybody else have these struggles? Yeah, no, Me neither. I mean, you know, but some of these other churches, I mean, watch out for those guys. And of course, we, we all have these struggles, right? I mean, in, in whatever form, we, we all struggle this way. That's why Paul said back in verse 17, for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. And so and I've said this before, but, but the Bible teaches us that, that now that you're a Christian, now that, you, now that you've given your life to Jesus, and now that Jesus is in your life, well, now the Bible teaches that basically you now have two natures. There's like the old you and the new you. Your old nature and your new nature. But the problem is that now both of these natures are now living in you at the same time, and they're, and they're fighting each other inside of you. All the time, and, and so now you, you've got this struggle all the time, and, and so you want to do uh, certain things you want to, you want to follow the spirit, but but your old nature, the flesh, you know it, 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 it kind of you know it steps in there and you have this constant conflict. Now listen, I don't know if you have these kind of struggles, but but the apostle Paul certainly did. In fact, Paul wrote about it. He, he We mentioned this before, but back in Romans chapter seven, Romans chapter seven verses eighteen and nineteen Paul said. And I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. And I want to do what is good, but I don't. And I, and I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. And many of us have been there. Many of us know what it feels like to, to want to serve the Lord, want to follow the Spirit, only to find ourselves in the flesh. And so what Paul's dealing with here this morning in, in Galatians chapter 5 is basically He's confronting this tendency that, that many of us have to, to sort of try to conquer the flesh in our, by using nothing but, but, but sheer willpower. We're just going to use our own willpower to conquer our flesh. So, you know, maybe, maybe we, we, we make a New Year's resolution where we vow and, and we boldly declare that we're never going to do this again or do that again, only to see what happens. We end up doing this again and that again. Or then again, maybe, maybe we we, we decide we're gonna to try to conquer the flesh, we're gonna defeat our sinful nature with legalism, with a list of 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 all these do's and, and and don'ts, things we cannot do and things that we're supposed to do. Or maybe we try to try to, you know, discipline our flesh, you know, kinda of like the, the, the monks back in the Middle Ages who who would literally try to beat their flesh into submission as they would flog themselves and whip themselves. Or maybe like the Russian author Leo Tolstoy. I recently wrote about him uh, a few weeks back, but but Tolstoy was a tormented Christian. He was tormented by, by legalism. I mean, this was a man who who wanted to live a holy life, and so he had a uh, you know he, he tried to try to give up all these different things of the flesh and tried to make himself more holy. But in the end, his his quest for holiness ended up costing him everything, because this was a man who who was always devising a new list to try to live by. You know, things to, to stop doing, to give up fleshly things. And so over and over, he, he gave up things like hunting and, and smoking and drinking and eating meat. In fact, on more than one occasion, he took a vow of chastity and made his wife live in a completely, or sleep in a completely different bedroom. Now, he wasn't able to keep that vow very long, by the way, as his wife Sonia's 16 pregnancies bear witness to. <laughs> But, but Tolstoy was, was, was tormented by, by legalism, trying to live by all these rules, only failing in the process. In fact, he was so tormented that, that literally in his house, he had to hide all the ropes, all the guns, and anything sharp to keep him from killing himself. Because he was so tormented. And in the end, Tolstoy, he, he fled from, from, from his fame and from his family and from his estate. And, and, and Tolstoy, the author of War and Peace, ended up dying like a homeless vagrant at a railroad station. It literally cost him everything. And so what the Apostle Paul is, is, is saying in Galatians is that, you know what? He, he's reminding us that, that holy living doesn't come from, from our performance for God. Rather, it comes from his performance through us. You see, holy living is—it comes from the Holy Spirit. Holy living comes from the Holy Spirit. And this is why we need to walk by the Spirit. We can't do this in our own strength. We can't do this by keeping a list of rules. It, it, it comes by walking by the Spirit. And so we, we have this tension. We, we have this contrast. We, we have our spirit and we have the flesh. We have our, our, our new nature and we have our old nature. And so in keeping with that, now Paul in verses 19 through 21 talks about what I would call the fruit of the flesh, the fruit of the flesh. This is the sign that you're not walking in the Spirit. This is the sign that you're walking in your flesh. (laughs) And so he says in verse 19, Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. (laughs) He's like, just in case I missed anything, let me just throw this statement out there. And things like these. He says, I warn you, as I've warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And so now Paul talks about what he calls the works of the flesh. Now again, what we have in this passage is is a comparison and a contrast. We have what I would call the, the fruit of the flesh versus the fruit of the spirit. Now, number one on the list, as, as we kind of break these things down, we won't look at all of them in depth because some of them are just self-explanatory. I mean, I could tell you that, you know, idolatry is worshiping idols, but you probably could have figured that out. And so, you know, we'll, we'll look at some of these. Like, for example, he says the the the, the works of the flesh are evident, uh, sexual immorality. Now, first of all, that word immorality, it comes from the Greek word pornea. Now, pornea, basically, is a Greek word that, that covers any form of any sexual behavior outside of the context of biblical marriage. Biblical marriage meaning a man and a woman. And so it, it's any form of, of any sexual behavior outside of the context of biblical marriage. So that would include a lot of things. That, that would include adultery. Uh, that, that would include, you know, uh, sleeping around. That would include premarital sex. But now this word pornea, by the way, that's where we get our word pornography. And so, yes, it includes porn. Now listen, somebody might say, well, yeah, you know, I mean, I, I've never cheated on anybody. I, you, know, I, I, you know, I don't do this and I don't do that. But, you know, porn is kind of a big struggle. In fact, even in the church. In fact, a, a recent study says that, that 70% of Christian men view pornography on a regular basis. And more than 20% of Christian women view pornography on a, on a regular basis. That means that 90% of this room might be viewing pornography. Men and women alike. In fact, it's interesting, a, a few years ago, there was a study uh, put out by the hotel industry, and they found that, that during Christian conferences, either at their hotel or at like a conference center nearby, but they found that during Christian conferences, it could be a pastor's conference, it could be a leader's conference, a, a singles conference, a, a worship leader's conference, whatever, but, but during so-called Christian conferences, they found that pornography was viewed 10 times more than at any other time. And so, yeah, this is a struggle even in the church. And so what Paul's saying is, listen, that is definitely not a fruit of the Spirit. <laughs> He's saying, you know what? That is the fruit of the flesh. He says, he says the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, that, that's self-explanatory, sensuality. There's more to this word than meets the eye. In fact, this is a word that, that speaks of, of sexual perversion in excess. In, in excess. In fact, it, it also carries with it the idea of flaunting it and, and, and parading it. There, there, there's no shame. The idea is that, is that you know, one, the thing that was once kept a secret, the thing that you once kept in the privacy of your own home, the thing that you once kept in the closet, you are now parading it publicly for the whole world to see, and you don't care who knows. It's just publicly flaunting it for the world to see. And so he says there's sexual morality, there's impurity, there's sensuality, idolatry, and then he says sorcery. In other words, sorcery is interesting. You've probably heard before that this word sorcery comes from the Greek word pharmakia. We get our English word pharmacy from it. Now, it's interesting. Is this word pharmakia literally means mind-altering drugs? But it's weird. Why? Why would mind-altering drugs be called here? sorcery. What's well, because in those days, in, in the ancient world, uh, many pagan religions would use marijuana specifically, but also many other mind-altering drugs. They would use mind-altering drugs to get worshipers into an altered state of consciousness to quote-unquote help them communicate with their gods, or at the very least to, to open them up to, to the spiritual realm. And so, so far on this list, we've got sexual activity, we've got drug use. You know, he says, he says the, the, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual morality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, and then enmity. There's a word you don't hear every day. And this word enmity, it, it, it refers to, to a hateful attitude or, or to a, a, a critical attitude, which then leads to all these other things on the list. Things like strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, and envy. And so what we see is, is that, you know, it's easy for us to think, well, the works of the flesh, you know, the fruit of the flesh, I mean, yeah, sexual immorality, that makes sense, you know, uh, you know uh, drug use, all that makes sense. But you know what? You know what else is on that list? Anger. Anger management issues. Fits of anger. Division. Being a divisive person. Stirring up trouble. These are things on this Now, you know, think of, of all the vitriol in our day. I mean, anybody been on Twitter recently? Oh, good, because don't go there. It's, it's depressing. You know, but you, you go on Twitter or, or some other social media platform and, and it's just filled with anger, right? I mean, just, you know, just all of this just anger, 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 anger. I mean, you look know, at some of the the, the tweets of, of many prominent Christian leaders and, and it's just, you know, oh, I hate this and hate that and this and that. And you're just, you know, like, what is going on? Now, you know, when Twitter first started years back, I mean, it was kind of cute. You know, I mean, you, you had like, like you only, only could post like 140 characters. And then when you hit send, what did it do? It went this, this little, you know, just little cute little birdie tweet, you know. Well, now we've gone from the cute birdie tweet to now it's like angry birds all the time. So people are just like, it's sin, And Paul's saying, you know what? Whatever that is, that's a display of fleshly fruit, not spiritual fruit. <coughs> Pardon me. And so he, you know, he mentions, uh, you know, uh, enmity and and strife and jealousy, fits of anger, rivalry, dissensions, divisions, uh, envy. Then he says drunkenness, orgies, and then in case I left anything out, he says, and things like these. But then it's interesting, in the next verse he says, he says, and those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now in the New King James Version, it says, those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now this word practice, or as it's also translated do, uh, in the original it's the Greek uh, uh, proso. And this is a word that, that in this particular tense, the, the way it's being used, it's in an ongoing continual tense. In other words, it's speaking of a, a, a habitual lifestyle. In other words, it is not saying that, that anyone who whoever slips up even just one time in any one of these behaviors or, or somebody who struggles every now and then in one of these behaviors is going to burn in hell. That is not what it's saying. What it's saying is that, is that someone who has, has these behaviors as a habitual lifestyle, this is their way of life. I mean, these, these behaviors describe their, 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 who they are. I mean, it's, it's, their, it's, it's, it's the way they live their life. It's saying, you know what? If this describes who you are, if this is your habitual way of living, then you're living the life of somebody who's not going to heaven. You're, you're demonstrating nothing but the fruit of the flesh. And so it's speaking of a, not a one-time uh, thing or, or an occasional thing. It's speaking of a daily thing. Uh, 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 this is the way you live your life. So you have the fruit of the flesh, but now in contrast to that, now in verses 22 through 24, now we come to the fruit of the Spirit. Verse 22, Paul says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And so now, as, as we talk about the, the so-called fruit of the Spirit, it's important, by the way, for, for us to realize that we're, we're not looking at the fruit of the Christian. So we're not looking at the fruit of an individual who lives for Jesus. We're not looking at the characteristics, the, 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 the virtues of somebody who follows Christ. We are looking at the fruit of the Spirit. In other words, this is, these are his characteristics, not yours. These are his attributes, not ours. This is his fruit coming out through your life. It's his fruit coming out through your life. Here's what God says. God says in Hosea chapter 14 verse 8, he says, all your fruit comes from me. This is his fruit coming out of your life. All your fruit comes from me, God says. You know, typically we, we read this passage about the fruit of the Spirit, you know, and, and typically the way we read it, we read it as if it was a, a list of, of nine characteristics or, or nine virtues that mark the Christian life. But what I, wanna, what I want you to observe this morning is that the word fruit is in the singular, not the plural. It's in the singular, not the plural. In other words, there are not nine different fruits of the Holy Spirit. Rather, there's one fruit of the Holy Spirit. And what's the one fruit of the Spirit? The fruit of the Spirit is love. And now from here, it's like those, those eight, the, the next eight words are simply describing what love can look like in certain contexts. You're in a certain situation, you're in a certain circumstance, and love can look like one of these eight different descriptions. so it's as if there should have been a semicolon. It says, you know, the, the fruit of the Spirit is love, and now here's what love looks like. Now, by the way, that word love that's used here, it's the Greek word agape. Agape means perfect love. It means sacrificial love. And so what the Apostle Paul is saying, he's saying, you know what? Here's what agape looks like. Here's what perfect love looks like. Here's what sacrificial love looks like. Number one on the list, it looks like joy. This is the Greek word kara. It's used 70 different times in the New Testament, but this is a word that that speaks of of internal happiness. It speaks of of internal contentment. The internal contentment that abides in in the heart of a person who now has the Lord in their heart. And so it's not external happiness that's based on what's happening around you, you know, that, that as long as everything in your life is, is, is going as planned, you know, as long as it's smooth sailing and easy streets and, and everything's just going happy, well, then you're happy. No, no, this is, this is internal happiness. This is a, an internal contentment that you have despite what's happening around you. And by the way, it, it's his attribute, not yours. It comes from him. It doesn't come from you. For example, Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 10, it says, the joy of the Lord is your strength. And so it's his joy, not yours. It's the joy of the Lord. But if, if, if the Lord is in you, well, now his joy is in you, and now the joy of the Lord can be your strength. And number two on the list, after he says the fruit of the Spirit is love, which looks like joy, he then says peace, Irene in, in, in the Greek. And the word here has a sense that that you're calm even in the midst of chaos. That when everything else around you is falling apart, you are still holding it together. Why? Because the one who is in you is holding you together. Because he's holding you together, you're holding it together. And then he says patience. Patience. Uh, Macrotheia here in, in in the Greek. This is a word that that speaks of tolerance. It speaks of of the ability to to endure injuries and and to and endure the attacks of others around you. It speaks of the willingness to to accept a, a, a difficult situation or even to deal with difficult people. And I might even add to deal with difficult people in difficult circumstances without meds. <laughs> hey, listen. I mean, with enough medication, any of us can deal with just about anybody, right? But saying, you know you don't even need the meds. You know, it reminds me of, 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 of that meme that's floating around. With, uh, it's a, f- a foghorn leghorn. And, and, and he says, boy, I said, boy, you are about to exceed the limitations of my medication. <laughs> <laughs> and what this is saying is that you, know, you don't need the meds. Be because he's in you, uh, you. You have patience. But again, these are not your attributes. They are his attributes. It comes from him. For example, Psalm 86 verse 15, uh, it says, but you, O Lord, among other things, are slow to anger. You're slow to anger. In other words, he's got a long fuse. He's got a high boiling point. He is patient, and because he is in you, his patience is in you. And so depending on the circumstance, you know, love, perfect love, agape love, depending on the circumstance, might look like patience. It might look like a long fuse, a high boiling point. And then he goes on. He says, he says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, which can look like joy, peace, patience. Now, kindness just kind of speaks for itself. Goodness is self-explanatory. Then he says faithfulness. Now, this is a little more interesting. The Greek word pistis. It really speaks of of loyalty and trustworthiness. In other words, because he's loyal and he's trustworthy, you can be loyal. You can be trustworthy. And then after he says uh, faithfulness, he then says gentleness and self-control. Self-control is self-explanatory, but gentleness is interesting. It comes from the Greek word prautus. It can be translated meekness gentleness or meekness. It it describes a a humble attitude where where you're able to handle every offense and and every insult with with a sense of calm, you know, without any desire to retaliate and and get even. You don't have a desire to hold it over somebody's head. You don't have to keep bringing it up over and over and over and over. There's a sense of, you know, you're just just calm. Now listen, we tend to think of meekness as weakness, right? Right? But this word proutus in the original, it literally means strength under control. In other words, you've got all the strength you need to just deal with this situation. I mean, you could blow them out of the water if you wanted to. You could kick butt and take names. I mean, you've got the strength to just seek and destroy. And yet, you've got it under control. I think a great illustration of this is the story of Chuck Norris. No, this isn't one of those legendary Chuck Norris things. I mean, this is like a true story from the 80s where Chuck, Chuck Norris was in a bar. And as he's in this bar, he, he, all of a sudden this guy start, starts talking smack and, 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 he, and, he, and he's mouthing off to Chuck Norris, trying to pick a fight with Chuck Norris. And finally Chuck Norris puts his hand in the guy's face and he says, you know what that is? And he goes like, no, what is that? He's like, that is strength under control. He then gets up, takes out some money, pays for his bill, pays for the other guy's bill and walks away. And as he's walking away, the guy's like, oh, that big coward. And the bartender's like, do you have any idea who that was? And he's like, no, I don't, and I don't care. He goes like, well, well, that was, was Chuck Norris, the martial artist. He could have killed you. That is Proutus. That is gentleness. That is strength under control. That because the Holy Spirit's in you, you now have this ability. And again, it's not your ability, it's his ability. Remember, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, verse 29, Jesus says, I am gentle and humble in heart. And because he's gentle and humble in heart, and because he's now in your heart, you now have the ability to be gentle and humble in heart. And believe me, for some of you, that does not come naturally. That is supernatural. But it's a sign, it's the proof that he's actually in you. Because left to your own devices, none of these things come to you naturally. And so, so this is the proof that, it, that, that you're walking in the Spirit. If you're walking in the Spirit, then the fruit of the Spirit is love. And depending on whatever circumstance you're in, love might look like one of these things. It might look like self-control. It might look like peace. It might look like strength under control. Gentleness, depending on the circumstance. And now finally, in verses 25 and 26, now Paul gives us the key to walking in the Spirit. He told us to walk in the Spirit. He told us that if, that if we want the fruit of the Spirit coming out of our lives, we need to walk in the Spirit, walk by the Spirit. But now here is the key to actually walk by the Spirit. He says in verse 25, If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, and envying one another. And so Paul says here to keep in step with the Spirit. Now, have you ever tried to, to walk in someone else's footsteps? You know, maybe you're a dad and, and, you, and you've got a son and maybe you've gone to the beach and, and as you're walking along the beach, your son's walking behind you trying to walk in your footsteps. Or then again, you know, have you ever tried to stay in stride with someone else? You know, maybe, maybe, you know, maybe you're in like a, a three-legged race, you know, and, 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 and you and your partner are trying to, to match each other stride for stride. Well, that's the picture here when it comes to walking by the Spirit, when it comes to, to walking in step with the Spirit. But in this case, the Spirit's not next to you. He's actually inside of you. And he's inside of you, and he's trying to take a step in a certain direction. And now you have a choice. Are you going to step out stride for stride and go in the same direction with him? know, when I think about this, I think a great illustration, it reminds me of, uh, of the children of Israel during the days of Moses, you know, when God led them out of their slavery to Egypt, had them, had them go to the promised land, but for 40 years in between, they were wandering through the wilderness. But we read in the book of Exodus that, that the Holy Spirit led them, but how? He led them as the, uh, in, in the form of a pillar, a pillar of cloud during the day and a pillar of fire by night. But the Holy Spirit led them in a pillar. So wherever the pillar went, they they would step out and and go in that direction. So if the pillar went north, they went north. If the pillar stopped, they would stop. If the pillar, you know, went forward, they would go forward. But, you know, imagine what it would have been like, you know, being a a follower of the Lord back in those days. You know, I don't know, maybe maybe your boss wants you to to move to Fort Collins and become like the the new branch manager. And this is a definite promotion and, and he wants you to move out there. It's so now you and your wife are having to pray about whether you're going to sell your house here and, and move up north and, 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 and take this promotion. And, you know, and, you know, but in that day, all you would have to do is, is just look outside and look at the pillar. Is the pillar moving north towards Fort Collins or, or, or is the pillar staying put? Listen, if he stays put, you stay put. It was just that easy, that simple. But in this case, the Holy Spirit is not in the form of a pillar. The Holy Spirit is now inside of you. And so when it says, keep in step with the Spirit, here's the idea. The, the idea is, is that the Holy Spirit is, is taking a step into this direction or, or, or in that direction. And then he compels you uh, from, from the inside. He, 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 he nudges you. He, he leads you from the inside to, to walk in step with him. He's in you and he's taking these steps and he's, he's nudging you from the inside to walk with him. Now, you know, maybe it looks like this. You know, maybe, maybe you're reading the Bible. In fact, maybe you're even reading a passage like the one we read this morning. A passage that's telling you, you know, uh, about, about the, the, the works of the flesh, the, the fruit of the flesh. Which, again, not only involves sexual sin or, or drug use, but even things like anger management or division. And you're reading a passage like this, and, and all of a sudden you feel the Holy Spirit inside you, nudging you and leading you to, to, to change the direction of your life, to make some changes when it comes to these areas. And if you're keeping in step with the Spirit, you start making those changes. And I'll never forget, it was like 15, maybe almost 20 years ago, there was a couple that started coming to our church, and, and after a week or two of coming to the church, they got saved. They, they, they both accepted Jesus as their Savior. Now, this couple, by the way, they were not married when they first started coming. That they were living together, but they were not married. And so one night after after they accepted Jesus, they're at home and they're and they're reading their Bibles and on their own as as they're reading the Bible, all of a sudden they discovered that that, that God's word teaches that sex is for marriage. And 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 they discovered that that they shouldn't be living together until they get married. So immediately they call me up on their phone, and they're like, you know, Pastor, we we just read this, and you know what? We need to get married. I mean, you know, we now that we're followers of God, we, we want to follow his word and do what his word says. You see, that's what it looks like to keep in step with the Holy Spirit. He's, he's nudging you inside. He's leading you to make some changes. He's leading you in this direction. And, and you, step by step with him, go in that direction as he's changing you and leading you. Again, we, we talked about the children of Israel in, in the day of Moses and how they, they would follow this pillar as, as the Holy Spirit would lead them. But we wonder, you know, if, if they were following the Holy Spirit If they're following where this pillar would take them, then why did it take them so long to get to the promised land? I mean, why did it take them 40 years to to do a journey that should have just been done in a matter of weeks? Well, now, if you go back to the book of Exodus and, and you read their story, you see that the reason it took so long was because day in and day out, they kept grumbling and complaining against the Lord. And day in and day out, they kept sinning against the Lord. Now, remember who these people were. I mean, they had been enslaved to Egypt for 400 years. And so during the time that they were in Egypt, listen, Egypt had gotten in to them. And so why did it take you know, so long for the pillar to lead them into the new land? Listen, because ultimately, God's goal was not just to get the people out of Egypt, but it was also get to, to, to get the Egypt out of the people. And in the same way, here you and I are, as as, as believers today, following Jesus, and we have the Holy Spirit in us, leading us, just as the Holy Spirit was a pillar, leading them, the Holy Spirit's in us, leading us. But in the same way, we also still have our fleshly nature. We have our fleshly cravings, just like they had their cravings for Egypt, we have our cravings for the flesh. And, and, and so we have this constant battle where, where we're trying to walk in the Spirit, but we keep giving in to the desires of the flesh. By the way, wasn't that the very thing that Paul talked about back in verse 17? Go back and look at verse 17 again, because none of you went like this. You're all like, oh. Well, verse 17, what does it say? It says, for the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Now, let me read that verse for you out of the New Living Translation. In the New Living Translation, it's rendered this way. It says, the sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants, and the Spirit gives us the desires uh, that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other. And so, you know, I mean, you have like this, this internal battle. You have this internal war zone. As as you have the flesh and the spirit constantly battling each other inside of you. And and by the way, can I just point out that that the very fact that you now have this this war zone, this tug of war inside you between the, the new nature and the old nature, the flesh and the spirit, the very fact that that's actually happening inside of you is actually a sign that you really are saved. It's a sign that you really are a Christian. The very fact that, that, that you have this battle between the flesh and the spirit is happening, it, it's proof that you are a Christian. Now, why do I say that? Because what happens? Every time you, 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 you fail, every time you stumble, every time you give in to temptation, what happens? The devil comes along and he says, you're probably not even saved. You're probably not even a Christian. You're probably going to hell. Well, the very fact that this battle is taking place between two natures inside of you is actually proof that you really are a Christian. Why do I say that? Because when you think about it, non-believers, non-Christians, they don't have this struggle. Think about it. Non-Christians don't struggle with sin. They just sin. Because they only have one nature, a sin nature. They don't have two natures. They don't have a, a flesh and a spirit. They don't have a sin nature and a spiritual nature. They only have a sin nature. They don't struggle with sin, they just sin. So the very fact that you're struggling, the very fact that you have your weak moments, the very fact that you fail and blow it sometimes, and, and you go back and forth between wanting to follow the Spirit but still struggling with the, with the flesh, it's proof that you really are saved. It's kind of like, you know, if, if you're in a street fight. now You know, if you get in a street fight, now, maybe you don't win. You know, in fact, maybe you get knocked out, but, but you put up a fight, you, you put up a struggle the very fact that you're putting up a fight means that, that, that you're a Christian. Why? Because non-Christians don't put up a fight against sin. They just sin. So the fact that you have a new nature in you that's putting up a fight is proof that something's changed in you, that you really are a Christian. I love the way a, a Cherokee Indian had, had described this. He had recently come to Christ. He became a Christian. And he's talking with his grandson uh, and trying to describe to his grandson that now that he's a Christian, it's like he's got two natures, an old nature and a new nature. And he put it this way. He said, "He says, there's now two dogs that live inside of me. He says, one is the old dog and he's mean and vicious and, and filled with anger, greed, lies, and pride. But then there's a, a new dog and he walks after the things of Christ. And he's filled with love, joy, peace, patience, and kindness. But he says... These two dogs are constantly fighting each other inside of me. And then the grandson asks and says, well, well, Grandpa, which one wins? And he smiled and said, the one you feed is the one who wins. Listen, what's the key to walking by the Spirit? The key to walking by the Spirit is to feed the Spirit. Listen, that's why it's so important to, 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 to read the Bible, read the Word of God, not just on Sundays at church, but every day. Every day should be church. Listen, the Bible calls you the church. We should be reading this day in and day out because it feeds our soul. We should be be praying day in and day out. We should be singing and worshiping the Lord day in and day out because the more we do it, the more it feeds our spirit. And the more you feed the spirit and you starve the flesh, the more you can walk in the spirit and not in the flesh. And the more people see his fruit in you and less of your fruit in you. It's the key to fruity living. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you that that Lord Jesus, when you came into our lives, you not only saved us from our sin, but Lord, you filled us with your spirit and you started changing us from our sin. You started changing us from the inside out. It's no longer about us trying to change ourselves. It's about you in us. Holy living comes from the Holy Spirit. Thanks for listening to the Calvary Brighton podcast. To find out more about our ministry in Brighton, Colorado, go to calvarychapelbrighton.com.